I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Russ Golden, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast about Foam Football Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman or at the Twitter account for the show, Cottage Talk. I'm Jake, a Newcastle supporter. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's, and I work for EPL Index and the Boot Room. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor and founder of The Eagles Beak, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can get us on Twitter at The Eagles Beak. And I'm also co-host and producer of uh, the Meridian Sports Show, which is a local community radio uh, show, uh, which you can get online. And you can follow us on Twitter at the Meridian SS. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. Absolute pleasure, as always. First up, uh, let's talk a little bit, as I'm pretty sure every podcast is contractually obligated to, Start off by talking about Jose Mourinho. I'm not going to get into all of his quotes and antics and everything, but he did win uh, their match today 2-0. Um, a lot of the United fans saying that uh, Mourinho really is uniting everyone with a whole bunch of horrible puns to go in line with that. Um, so all the antics aside, do you think Mourinho deserves more time at Manchester United? Well, it's a very interesting thing because you can't listen to anything. I can't turn on Sirius XMFC without the we being about Mourinho. So for me, it's been nonstop Mourinho. And uh, there's a part of me that thinks that, again, he only has this time frame that he it seems to work, Kevin, if you're asking me, two to three years and then everything goes bad. But um, this is Manchester United, and, the, and they expect the best of the best. If you're asking me if it's any other team, he deserves more time. But this is Manchester United, and I don't know if he's going to get any more time. I think it's, um, you know, if you look at the way they played against Spurs, even the way they played against Leicester, and then, you know, um, it's, it's just it's just not been very good. And it, I just don't think it's very, very, been very good for, like, the last 12 months. Um, they had that one good year, which I guess you could consider a good year when in Europa League and, and the FA Cup. But since then, it's just been going downhill and you have all the internal politics with, with Anthony Martial going on and the fact that he seems close to signing a new contract suggests that Mourinho is not going to get much more time. Uh, the Pogba stuff as well, I just I think it's too far down the line for it to, to really be reversed. Um, and I think it's coming to a head before Christmas. I think he's going to go. Um, I don't know if there's if there's anybody who's that obvious to come in to replace him. And I think if there was, he probably would have been, he probably would have went already. Uh, the summer was probably the time to get rid of him and they didn't. Um, but it's just, he's just becoming a bit of a caricature of himself now. Like that stuff after the Tottenham game with the three, you know, he's won three titles more than any, more than all the other 90 managers combined. I mean, yeah, that's true. But his last title did come, you know, with Chelsea, it didn't come with Manchester United and it came, you know, a good, you know, 
four or five years ago now. It's not it's not very recent. So I think I think it's time for him to go. I think he's probably you know the very top of the managerial game. He's probably left him behind. He he, he could probably go and have success at, at maybe a second tier club or or an international team. But I think it, it, Manchester United is too big for him at the moment, and they need to get a manager in like a Klopp, like a Guardiola, uh, like a Pochettino, somebody who's going to implement a style uh, and plan for the long term, because that's not what Reno does. Uh, and the fact that he didn't get the money in the summer probably shows that the club has lost faith in him. And the moment that happened, it's, it's just it's difficult to get back from a situation like that. And I don't think he's uh, he's got the character to get back from it, because he's just so abrasive. It's only, he's only going to make it worse. I think today was a bit of a respite for him. I think Burnley are shocking at the moment. And I'd be surprised if, if any team would go and... and, and lose to Burnley at the moment so I don't think that's a it's, it's a sign that it's going to turn around for him I think the next game Watford away that's got a loss written all over it given what Watford are doing at the moment and, and that, that could be the end for him and I wouldn't, wouldn't blame Man United for getting rid of him now uh, I don't know who they get but it's it's gone too far for Mourinho and he needs to go it's just it's he, he's never got back from this situation before so he's not going to do it now with Manchester United when arguably it's worse than it's been at any other club because these tensions have been there for a long time at United with, with Pogba and and um, Martial and Shaw. You know they've been there for over twelve months now, and they're only getting deeper. So yeah, he needs to go. And, and if he doesn't, that I can see them finishing. I I don't see them as a top four club at the moment. So he, if he if he stays, they're not going to get top four. And without that, they're going to you know damage their brand once again. So I don't think they can do that. So yeah, he needs to go, and, and he needs to go pretty quickly. Yeah, United, that position at United has been a poison chalice since Fergie left. Obviously, you know, managers have been and, have been and gone. They've they've still won, you know, the odd thing in between time. Um, but it, it's just it's, it's just bizarre how Mourinho has kind of failed in a way because I thought that was a, a role at a club that he would probably, uh, you know, um, excel in, really. But it's not really been a match made in heaven at all. I think that this writing was on the wall in the summer with the fact that they weren't, um, giving him the money to to actually spend on 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 players, it was it was evident that they've needed something uh, across the back line, and I think a lot of the rumours were about defensive uh, defenders, central defenders particularly, uh, which is where they struggle and is kind of preventing them from you know actually having that kind of attacking team without any any solid foundation in in a back line. All the time they've got those priorities, and it, it, it's going to be difficult. But I think. I really thought Mourinho, Mourinho was going to walk after the game on Monday with his uh, quite bizarre um, walk off the pitch, you know, standing there in front of the United fans, uh, clapping, well, whoever was left, to be honest. There wasn't many left in the stadium, but he was standing there clapping the United fans, which you don't see very often. I know he's a, he's a very fan-orientated manager because every time he's come to Palace, he's applauded the atmosphere at Palace uh, majority of the time, more so when he's at Chelsea and United, but he, he seems to have had a connection with some of the Palace fans, even though they seem to beat us every time. But um, yeah, that that was quite peculiar. You know, he was he, he walked off with a United scarf, and I kind of thought, you know, that that could have been the end after that beating by um, Spurs. I mean, it was it was a bold move to start the game on Monday, you know, three at the back uh, with uh, Herrera uh, playing at the back. But I thought United for for the most part in that first half, at least, had the chances and took the game to Spurs. And I think pretty count ourselves a little bit unlucky they didn't get the first goal in that one, which could have perhaps change the game a fair bit. Um, but yeah, I, it just seems to have gone sour. Um, and it's kind of the time frame that's already been mentioned that you know, probably uh, time for him to move on and uh, and, and, and go something uh, a bit more of a fresh start. I think the point's already been made that he'd probably do a, 
a really good job at a, a lower level club with with not quite so much of an expectation level as as United. But you know, I I always fancied him to do well at, at a club like United. Um, but unfortunately, it's not the case, and it seems to be, you know, a massive job at United since Fergie left. Is there's no doubt about it? They've they've kind of stumbled through seasons. Uh, granted, they won the FA Cup and uh, uh, was it League Cup last year, but other than that, I, I don't really see who is out there who can come in and, you know, grab that club by the scruff of the neck and uh, and and actually get it to win win titles again because it seems to be. You know, a lot of the things that we hear from the players and uh, some of the rumblings from behind the scenes, it, it seems a little bit uh, sort of, you know, stuck there at the moment. So interesting to see. I mean, uh, people have mentioned Zidane. He, yeah, he did very well at, uh, at Madrid, but Madrid is a club that he knew. I can't imagine. And had a really much see. better squad than what he'd take over here. Exactly. Uh, but I just don't see um, Zidane doing well at another club, really. Maybe I'm underestimating him. I, I, I thought he was perfect for Real Madrid. Um, and and so it proved. I'll, I'll be surprised if he if he actually uh, goes and does another job, or is actually interested in another job. Is another, another Marintali, yeah. But um, but yeah, I don't I don't really see who's going to come in and and do a better job. There's also somebody out there that, but maybe they might need to set their sights a little bit lower and, and, and give somebody the role that uh, you know can perhaps flourish in it and and do what they do do what they need to do to uh, kind of you know give the playing squad an overhaul. But yeah, a lot of money's been spent on that squad, um, and uh, you know. Seems to have been a bit bit wasteful in, in in the way they've spent things, but it seems to be, you know, the case for these top clubs, uh, and and that seems to be all people talk about is you know those top four or five clubs all the time. So, uh, with Mourinho in charge, it's it's going to continue. It'll be interesting to see how that relationship between a club and Mourinho goes between now and well, whether he does get sacked. I mean, he, he needs a uh, you know he needs a recovery of sorts even after a poor start. But you know they, they've got a player that's capable, but whether whether they've whether they want to do it is a different matter. I, th- I think for me, the obvious, the obvious person they need to target and who would be perfect for that job. Sorry to say it, Kev, is Mauricio Pochettino. He's the guy that they should go for. And is he's he? Very because wouldn't they all complain that he's not a winner? But I think he, no, but he'd build that club back up. And I think, I think with a budget behind him, what he's done with Spurs, he could probably go on and do better things with a bigger budget. And given the restrictions he has at Spurs, I think he would take that Man United job. I don't, I don't think he'd, he'd, I don't think he'd need to think about it so that's what i would do if I I, i'd honestly be surprised be. if they came for him considering this huge belief that he isn't a winner and can't win um that <laughs> yeah. seems to pervade both the media and seemingly other boardrooms I, I mean i could be wrong I, I i agree with you i think he could do a good job there but it seems like everybody has eliminated them with their own logic I yeah i could pop- see that but i just think i just think for me he's the person they should be going for hmm. yeah it's a good show i, I think pot should be going to Spain at some point after Spurs. I can't see him managing again over here. I think he'd be a Real Madrid manager within the next next couple of years for sure, even even sooner perhaps. But um, I don't think they seem to care whether managers have previous. You know, they they've won a lot of things. They they just seem to go with somebody who fits, and I think he'd fit at, uh, at Real Madrid. Hmm. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see if he does get one of those jobs without a few trophies on his belt first. Also, it should be noted that Manchester United won today. And this is still how everybody's feeling about the situation. Um, does not look like people think that he will be able to turn things around there or stick there very long at all. Um, another uh, result today was Watford beating uh, Tottenham. And, and all too often in the media, we hear kind of this narrative that, you know, it's more like the big club lost than the smaller one won. 
Um, worth noting that both of them were in the top four coming into this match anyway, so not sure that would have been an accurate narrative anyway. But last week, we talked about whether or not what Watford was doing was sustainable. We, we didn't really talk about what Watford were doing. Uh, so if you guys don't mind, what have you seen from Watford this year that you think they've kind of done this year that they did not do last year when they were like 12th in goals and 18th in goals conceded? Well, I was in the championship last year, so I, I didn't watch as much of them as I had in the past. But what I've watched this season, I watched the Burnley match. And I watched the team that even if uh, Burnley scored, this team kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. It was uh, a team that looked very determined to win the game. And I don't know if they had that type of uh, togetherness last season. I, I really don't know. But this team seemed to all be on the same page. And playing for each other. So maybe that sounds simplistic, but when I watched Burnley, I, I again, Burnley still had their opportunities, but when Watford had the chance to really take it to them, they did. So they were clinical, especially in the second half early on. So I, you know, is it sustainable? I don't know because I, I've seen teams go on winning streaks and then come back to earth, but this has been going on for a little bit now four matches talk to me after eight matches but i don't think that we should be criticizing them as a one-hit wonder until we give them some more matches underneath their belt but they're doing something right and i was impressed when i watched them against burnley but i'm here to say that at the same time of being impressed i think fulham can beat them so i don't know what you know and again maybe it's just one of these teams that finds ways to win because they don't look intimidating they don't look like that they're a team that can dominate you. They just win. So we'll see if that's sustainable. For me, I just think the main thing about Watford is how physical they are. They've just got big players across the pitch. And I think that's just, it's just, it's very simplistic, but it just works sometimes, especially when you build up that momentum, which they seem to have done now. Um, you know, in football, momentum is one of the things talked about, but it can't be measured. But it, it does seem to have an impact. And I think that the win against Spurs today was very much a momentum one. Once they got the first goal, they believed. And then they, they you know, they continued pushing and they and they got the second. Um, but, but I just look at Watford. You know, they've got Decore and Kapui in the middle of the pitch. They're just big physical players. You've got Deeney and Gray, who are, you know, Deeney's a hand for No defender that goes up against him will have an easy game. And Gray is quick. Uh, neither of them are great finishers. But they, you know, they're just a handful to defend against, and, and they will force mistakes. And I think that's been seen uh, this season already. And Pereira seems to have picked up form. He, he's really looking very good this season. Uh, and the two fullbacks, Holibas and Yamat, get forward, and they, and they, you know, they allow, you know, the, the, they give the service that the, the two forwards need. I just think it's it's very simplistic. There's nothing, there's nothing, you know, very tactical about what they're doing. They're just big, physical strong and they've just got a bit of technique in their team as well with you know with will hughes Pereira, and, and decore i just think they're just they've just got a good balance of, of technique and physicality but the thing about Watford is since they've come into the premier league they always start well uh, under whichever manager they have they will start well and they will fall away it just seems to be ingrained in their club's dna so you know they might go on and have a really good first half of the season but in the second half they're probably going to be dreadful because that's just what happens and and it's this is the first time i think a manager at Watford has finished the season and started the next one so you know, he's done something right to keep his job this long, but I just it, it's just something about Watford. I just always see them as a team that are not going to go down. They're going to start well, and they're just going to stink the place out in the second half of the season. I just don't think that's going to change. Um, but at the moment, everything that's clicked, and 
they've got momentum uh, and I wouldn't want to be playing them anytime soon. And I think they're going to probably go and beat Manchester United in a, in a couple of weeks time. And that could be the end of Mourinho, as I was mentioning earlier. But I think, you know, what Watford have done well, they've just got big physical players. They know their game plan and they've just got momentum. Uh, it's nothing, it's nothing complicated. It's just, it's just works. And, and it's, yeah, it's, I, I would be very happy to be a Watford fan at the moment, but like I said, I don't see them maintaining it for the long term. Oh, do we have to mention Kapui, really? Um, <laughs> um, I think you're right uh, there, Jake, in that you know, Watford are very organised. They're a big side. They're a physical side. Um, although I have to say that you know, Palace did make them look a bit ordinary in the first half last weekend. Uh, you know, we missed a ton of chances and we should have been turned up at half-time. However, they had a better second half. We didn't turn up. And uh, having played them already, you can see exactly how they get to win games because if their game plan works, and it does, I'll be interested to see when that game plan doesn't work because whether they've got a plan B or whether, you know, the, I don't see they've got a huge amount of options off the bench, but Pereira is a fantastic player. He, he has been for a long time and I think he's slowly, um, he's had a slow start in the Premier League. I think, um, I think he had an injury in his first season, but, uh, you know, since he's started this season very well, probably a shining light. Will Hughes is another really good, talented player. Um, the rest of the players really are, are there to, you know, to, to kind of, you know, impact on your opposition, you know, in their faces and, and they play that, you know, close game and that they get 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 in people's faces, the opposition faces and uh, perhaps step them out like they did last week on Zaha, but let's not uh, try and dwell on that too much. Um, yeah, I think they've uh, a fair play to Watford. They've done fantastically well. Forwards that are forward, nobody would have predicted that, let alone their, their own fans in those first four games. Um, but again, it's already been mentioned that Watford always have a good start to the season and always are awful in the second half. It just reminds me a little bit of um, this season of didn't Hull have a really good start a few years ago yeah, in the Premier League and they were yeah they had a fantastic start um, and as soon as they lost the game they really struggled. So reaction to losing that first game uh, will be interesting. I think it'd be telling as well in terms of. You know how whether they can kind of keep it going and, and kind of be a surprise package in the top six this season, perhaps. But I I, I really don't see it because I think if they lose one or two of those players from that starting lineup, as uh, as what happens during the season through whatever suspension or whether it's injury, um, they will probably struggle like most teams that are outside the top six if they lose one or two of their best players. But you know you can't knock them for for getting four wins out of four uh, and where they're gone about their business. They've got an effective game plan. They they do their jobs very well. Every player knows their job. And, um, yeah, I've made a couple of shrewd signings over the summer. I think Ben Foster is a very good goalkeeper. Uh, probably a bit short for, for my liking, but he, he seems to get in the way of everything pretty much. Um, like all goalkeepers, he, he's liable to, to an error or two, but I think he's you know reliable uh, for the most part. So, um, so yeah, a few, a few shrewd uh, signings over the summer um, just to add to what they already had. And, I, you know, I think they're, 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 they're a decent side, but... Again, I, I don't see them challenging, challenging, you know, the top six, seven places. I think they will fall, fall away and end up as a, you know, bottom half of the table side later on. But um, yeah, they could surprise. We never know. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that they've improved as much as they've had with so a uh, few additions. But as you mentioned, Ben Foster was uh, terrific for them today, coming out and smothering a whole lot of stuff. We noticed with De Gea last week when Lucas gets behind with a one-on-one, he does it so quickly you don't really have time to react. Um, but Foster actually reacted quicker than De Gea did last week and, and smothered one pretty early on um, and had a few other other opportunities that he he kind of took care of before they became bigger issues. Um, so he, he certainly has been an improvement on 
the combination of Jorelio Gomez and Carnezes. And wasn't there one more there last year? Who was the big dude that used to be at Sunderland? Uh, oh, Pantelimon. Yeah, yeah. He, he was there as well. So uh, Ben Foster certainly better than that batch. All right, um, and with these matches that we've talked about today being over, we are now heading into the international break after just four weeks of Premier League play. Uh, what do you think of the first international break happening so early in the season on the whole? And then for your individual clubs, has it come at a good or bad time? It's interesting for Fulham. I'm not a big fan at all of the international break coming so early because we just started the season. But normally I would say it's coming at a bad time. But for Fulham's sake, I think it's actually coming at an excellent time because they are still learning the Premier League. And for them, they need to really do some work defending and they need a lot of work. So for me, I think this is a good time to get back to training and figure out what's been going wrong, why they are continuing to look so poor in these mistakes that they're making because they continue to make mistakes. So for me, this is the right time to get together and figure out the issues that they're having and fix them. Because moving forward, so early on, the style of play has been established. And I'm not concerned about them scoring goals. I'm not concerned about them going forward. The midfield and up front, not worried about it at all. I'm worried about the back four and also the goalkeeper. And till all of those players get on the same page. We'll see situations like we saw on Saturday, giving up two goals on mistakes. So for me, this is actually a very good time for Fulham. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good time for Newcastle as well. Um, just just to tackle the question of the international break um, completely, I think it's I think they need to get the games in somewhere and. September seems to be a good time to sort of kick yourself back off after after an international tournament. So I think it, it comes at a good time for for that. Um, I'm not I'm not one of those people that hates the international break. I quite like it. I quite like watching England, especially after what happened in the summer. I'm quite excited to see how we kick on after that World Cup. So I'm actually you know quite happy to come now. Um, for Newcastle, you know we've had a we've had probably the worst fixtures of any team in the Premier League, and we rightly find ourselves in the bottom three after those games because they're tough games and you're not gonna you know if you're gonna take anything from those games you've done very well and we didn't we came close but you know it's it's fine I think Shelby's injury has been a big one so the fact we we've got a couple of weeks to get him back fit is massive and uh, it just gives Rafa a couple of weeks on the training ground with a lot of the new players as well so I think it comes a, a perfect time for us um so yeah I have no complaints I'm, I'm kind of quite happy I don't have to watch Newcastle play for the next two weeks to be honest <laughs> um, for Palace, yeah, I think it's the same. Um, get Will fit over the next two weeks. He's he's not been uh, he's not included in the Ivory Coast squad, which was probably uh, a little insight into ahead of yesterday's game. Really, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's been a tough four games. I think we expected more points than we've actually got. You know, great win on opening day, and then three defeats, which. Uh, I think you could point at several different things for those few defeats. We're we're suffering through um, Luka Milivojevic, who was fantastic last season. Different player started this season. Whether he's, he still has the the World Cup in his legs, perhaps I don't know. And he he's had a four and out with the uh, Serbian coach, so he won't be uh, on international duty. So I think you know there's a lot to be said for for a break and back to the training ground. And you know there is a there, there is a viewpoint that uh, Roy seems to struggle with 
making the right substitutions is a real believer in the training ground routine and, and, and allowing those players that are included and, and, and been planning for that game for the weekend enough time to, to do what they need to do in a game to, uh, you know, if it hasn't gone to plan, then, then, then get something back. So it didn't really work for us yesterday. Um, and I think there's a lot of viewpoints in that players like Coyote came on and, and did exceptionally well yesterday for us, even though we lost. Um, and Max Meyer for, for starting slots in that midfield, particularly while Luca's struggling. So there's a lot to think about. Um, probably regroup after these four games and think about, you know, exactly where we are uh, and uh, and what points we, we have. Uh, we have definitely missed out on because I, th- I think we should be on more points than three. I think we've played some decent stuff, but we've been a bit foolish in different in different games along the way. So, um, but, you know, no game is easy in the Premier League. It doesn't matter who you're playing. So, you know, we just need to, you know, get our heads back up again and, uh, and go again uh, with Huddersfield away uh, after the international break. So, yeah, it's come at a good time for us, I think. All right, interesting stuff from all of you. Now we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests regarding their clubs. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Uh, Russ, we'll start with you. Um, I came on and did a uh, segment with you before the Tottenham match, uh, where you mentioned that you had heard us talking about uh, Fulham Summer and the concerns that the squad chemistry might not be there because of how many players you brought in over the summer. Uh, just curious if you'd be willing to update us on, on how that's uh, how that's gone forward. Have have they started to play together more as a unit, or does, is it still a little individual at times? They are playing together as a unit, but the issue that Fulham are having, as I mentioned prior, is really about the defense. And uh, Savisa Jokanovic has not settled on a starting 11, and uh, we've been talking about on Cottage Talk and other Fulham supporters have been talking about this. Is he really just looking for his best starting 11 and just hasn't found it yet? Or is it about the opponent and he's just matching up against the opponent because he has different options now at pretty much each position. So I think the issue Fulham are having, I guess we say gelling together, is really, for me, about the defense because he's been changing it so much. There hasn't been uh, a back four that has played together right now. They, they keep changing it. Now, Alfie Mawson just came back, so that's a factor in it. They started with Fabri as goalkeeper, and then they've gone to uh, – Marcus Badnelli, and things have just continued to change, mix and match. Joe Bryan started the first three matches at left back. He decides to go with Lamar Sean at left back against 
Brighton Hove Albion, we think it was tactical because he was a taller left back and they were concerned about the crosses in the box. So what I think is going on is that, one, I think Slavisa is learning what he has and what he doesn't have. But I also think he's thinking more about how to play against the opposition instead of just going out with a, a normal starting 11 each and every week. I think he's really using his entire squad right now, which is good. But when you're talking about gelling, I think that's a work in progress, partially because of all the mixing and matching. Not as much in the midfield, certainly not up front where you have Mitrovic, I guess, in a 4-3-3 right now. He, the last two matches, he's gone with uh, Vieto and also Schurler. So Schurler came back after the Tottenham match. But again, there there have been all these changes. And, and then there's been talk because the last two matches, Ryan Sessegnon has not started and, and has come off the bench in both of these matches. So it seems like to me that Jokanovic is just figuring out what he has and what he doesn't have. So I'm not overly concerned because I see what, what's going on. I can see the style of play being cemented. I just think it's a matter of time, and I'm hoping that the defense will catch up with what's going on offensively because what, what's going on offensively is only going to get better. It's the defense mm-hmm. that has us all concerned because it's nowhere near where it needs to be in the Premier League. Yeah, you mentioned the attack there. Um, Alexander Mitrovic, four goals in four games, um, makes him top of the heap along with Sadio Mane for, for the highest goal scorers in the league right now. Um, how important has he been to your side thus far, and how well do you think he could perform throughout the season? I think he's been massive. And, you know, listen, last season he was really, honestly, the missing piece because once we got Mitrovic, everything clicked along with uh, Matt Target as a left back, but it was really more to do with Mitrovic scoring the goals. But what's interesting about watching him this season compared to last season, because I know that there are questions about can he score consistently in the Premier League. The biggest indicator I got, forget about the goals, is what opportunities he continues to create. And all of the center backs that he goes up against, he can handle so far including Tottenham's, which I highly respect. Mm. And he is just continues to be a menace. And uh, the best way I can put it is that he can score all different types of goals. But the work rate is something that, again, has been phenomenal. And, and the match against uh, Brighton Hove Albion really showed that because there was a long kick out to him. And Lewis Dunk is considered a, a very good center back for Brighton Hove Albion. And basically, he toyed with him, got around him, just put his hand on his back. And next thing you know, Mitrovic has the ball, shoots, gets his own rebound and scores. And that was, again, a goal that Mitrovic can score. But he can also score uh, a really style, style, you know, again, a goal, you know, a real, a real, uh, a real striker's goal. So it, it can be different types of goals, but it's his impact bringing his teammates in, you know, again, it's not just about him. He wants to win. So his impact, I think, is as big as probably Seri. Seri's probably second at this point. Mitrovic, I think, has been bigger because he's scoring the goals and his teammates are, are all part of it, too. All right. And then coming to you now, Jake, um, there was a huge uh, story last week 
about Lascelles being dropped before the Chelsea match. Obviously, your club captain, which surprised some at the time due to his age. Uh, have there been any updates on the situation, whether or not there was a falling out or if it was a tactical thing? Um, I'd say I think it's just one of those things that happens. I think he, um, basically what what I gather from the situation is that he wanted to play um, in the middle of a back three, and Benitez wanted him on the right side, and he, he sort of kicked up a fuss. And there was a bit of an argument between him and Matt Ritchie, but these things happen at football clubs all the time. You get heated discussions, you get arguments about little things, and, and things get tense, and they often. You know, it brings the score closer together. We had it last year of Diarme. I think Lascelles and Diarme got in a bit of a punch up. But Diarme became one of the best central midfielders in the league during the season. So I, it's just one of those things that happened. He was back in the team yesterday, and I don't think there's a lot to I don't think there's a lot to talk about. I just, you know, I think he he disagreed with something. He got dropped. He got put in his place, and he came back as captain the next game. Made a mistake for the first city goal, but improved after that. And I don't think there's a lot to. To, to worry about with the sales thing he's going to be fine he's going to come back into the team and we should forget about this I think it's been overly written and I think the problem with, with Newcastle United at the moment is the media seem to be looking for any small angle to go at Benitez there seems to be a big PR and you know I don't want to talk about conspiracy theories but there does seem to be a big PR drive coming out of Mike Ashley to that the people are just defending him. You see Richard Keyes and Andy Gray coming out with some ludicrous things over in Abu Dhabi. You have Rio Ferdinand who's who has links to Sports Direct defending him on BT yesterday. It's it's Dennis Wise, who was once employed by Mike Ashley at Newcastle on Sky, defending Mike Ashley to Hilt and saying that Benitez should be doing better. And, you know, he knows that it, it's ridiculous. I think it, I'm just bored of it. And I think this is a sales thing. It's another example that they're just trying to undermine Benitez. And I don't understand why that is, because there's only one person in the right at Newcastle at the moment, and that is Benitez. I just, I'm just bored of it. I just, it, it, if you, any Newcastle story, if you just keep an eye out for it, there are angles of people defending Mike Ashley and, and, and BT had a quite a good debate on it yesterday, despite the fact that, that Richard Dunn and, and Rhea Ferdinand were talking nonsense. I think Richard Dunn at one point said, um, well, there's no point investing any money because you're not going to get any higher than the ninth or eighth. What's the point of being a football club if you can't have ambition to to challenge higher than that? You know, Leicester won the league. Um, Everton have got into the top six uh, before. Uh, Watford are doing well at the moment. Um, you know, Burnley did well last season. I just, it's it's stupid. There's a lot of people defending my cash and I'm just bored of it. Um, but but the main thing that came out of that is that since we've been promoted, I think Brighton have spent over 100 million net spend. Huddersfield are around 80 million net spend. Do you know what Newcastle's was, Kev? One million net spend. Wow, ridiculous. I just that it's ridiculous. And and it it just and we get all this criticism about our style of play against the top top teams. Last year, I think no team took more points against the top six than Newcastle. Uh, I know, especially the case in home games. I'm not sure. I, I think we did pretty bad on the road, but especially in home games, no teams took more points than the top six than Newcastle. We've played Manchester City. We've played Chelsea. We've played Tottenham. We've lost 2-1 in each of those games. I, I, a lot of teams are going to do worse than that, especially at the Etihad. I'd be surprised if many teams can see two or fewer at the Etihad, and we did that yesterday. Yes, it's not great to watch, but it's difficult to defend. It, defending is not an easy skill. Ross was talking about it with Fulham. They're struggling. Newcastle can defend. Look at the last two games against Chelsea. We conceded a penalty, which shouldn't have been given, albeit it was a stupid tackle and an own goal. Yesterday, we... We concede, what do we concede yesterday in Manchester City? An excellent strike from Sterling and an absolute ridiculous goal from Carl Walker. We don't concede many goals. We don't get cut open very often. And and Benitez knows this is the way to get points. And I, 
I, I'm just bored of all the criticism of Benitez. I, I've really gone on from this sales point, but I just wanted to get in there just how ridiculous it's been at the moment. I think we've done very well. I think, um, I think you know, we're unlucky to have only one point. I think we probably could have got some from the Spurs game. Could have got some from the Chelsea game. Could have even got some out of yesterday. And we probably should have beaten Cardiff. One point is, is probably a harsh reflection. But the style of play that, that Benitez goes for means that there's these tight margins. And we will come out on the wrong side of those at times, as we have in these first four games. But I'm certain over the next 10, 20 games, we're going to come out on the right side of those tight margins more often than not. And I think we're going to be absolutely fine because he, he's a good manager. But it, it's, all this media stuff is just boring. Jake, I want to comment on all this. First of all, I agree with you with all the stuff coming up about uh, Rafa Benitez. I think it's unfair. I think there's obviously a media campaign against him to protect Ashley for whatever reason. And I think it's harmful to your club. I think it's, let me just say, BS. So I understand where you're going on that. What you talked about, though, in regards to how you guys have been playing. And again, I know how Benitez plays. He knows how to win. And you brought up a wonderful point. This is the reason why I wanted to comment on it. Fulham's next match is against Manchester City. We can't do what Newcastle United just did. Keep it close like that. We can't do that. We, we have one style of play, and that's to attack, and they're going to have to adjust when they go to the Etihad. I don't know how it's going to be, but I give you guys credit for going there and making, making it tough on Manchester City. That's not an easy feat, and like you said, the other matches as well. And with all this negativity... It's too bad because you do have a great club, a rich tradition, and uh, the fans don't deserve this. And I have no idea why they're pointing the finger, why everyone's pointing the fingers at Benitez when they should be pointing it at the owner. It makes no sense to me. No, I completely agree. I think it's it's ridiculous. Uh, and one thing I will comment on our style of play. Yes, I think we've averaged some like twenty percent possession in, in the last two matches against Chelsea and uh, Man City, which isn't, which isn't great. But uh, I think Benitez came out saying that possession is just a stat for TV, which which is pretty true. At the end of it, it's, it's not important. There's more than one way to skid a cat, and the way we play isn't great. But it but it does work. But it's worth noting we haven't had John Joshua for the last two games, uh, and in the first two games against Cardiff and Tottenham, he completed seven key passes. Key, who's coming to replace him in the last two games, has completed one key pass. And and, and the thing with Shelby is that he gets us up the field. He he can release our quick players. He, he can provide respite on the defence. He can open up, you know, even the best teams in this league. And he and you know, with Shelby on the pitch, they would we would be doing better. We'd be creating more. We'd be showing a little bit more positivity against Tottenham. Uh, we had about 40% possession, which, you know, still still not great, but it's a massive difference. And we had as many shots as Tottenham during that game. And I think, Kev, you'll admit in that second half, Newcastle were probably the better team. Yeah. And, and I think Shelby has just been a massive miss that has been completely disregarded by the media. With him, we it would be, it would be more of the same style, but we'd be showing more of an intent we'd be further up the pitch we'd be creating more so I think he's been a massive miss as well and the fact that we've managed to you know only lose by the odd goal in in two against two of the better teams two two teams who are unbeaten may I add Chelsea and uh, Manchester City so the fact we've done that without Shelby I think it's quite impressive and it shows how good Benitez is at sort of innovating he moved to a three at the back and he made it he, he changed the style and it, and it worked to an extent uh in each of those games as well we went one nil down and we got back level so I think that's that's a good trait to have and one that Newcastle teams haven't had before Benitez came so I, I think 
we were only on one point, yes, but I think we've had tough games. And I think we're going to be fine. Benitez knows how to pick his battles. He knows which games to target. And I have no doubt against Arsenal, I think it's our next game at home. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt we're going to be a lot more offensive in that game. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we got something. That's a completely different game. They're a team that we can go at. They're a team that we can get in behind. I think that that's going to be a different game. And I wouldn't be surprised if we'll get something. But it's... Yeah, it's it's not been a great start, but I just think it's it's ridiculous that Benitez is getting any any sort of criticism at all. Yes, it's okay to pick flaws in some of the things he does, and I don't dis- I don't agree with everything that he does, but some of the some of the stuff that's out there at the moment is just ridiculous. What did you make of the approach to the cup tie? Um, I mean, it disappointed me. I would. I yeah, I I, 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 I wasn't trying to like counting you hard there or anything, but just you've been saying very positive things. But I, I saw a lot of Newcastle people very frustrated with how it was handled. But I think that I think I don't think we're ever going to go deep in that cup in a cup competition. I don't think we've got the squad for it. Uh, I was disappointed how it went. But I think he, you know he had Kennedy on the pitch. He, Rondon came on. It wasn't it, it, Fernandez played. We had some good players on the pitch. Key as well. He played. I I I, I just think it's one of the things that it's a. I think Benitez used that game. I don't think he really cared about going out of that uh, competition. I think he used that as a sort of a message saying, look. I don't have the squad to do this, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put my strongest team out, and I'm not gonna care about going out. I, and he probably wanted to win the game, but I don't think he's gonna lose too much sleep about going out either. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with that is Mike Ashley also doesn't really care about going out of the cup, so it, it, it really does little for for either of their causes. Yeah. Uh, the stuff, uh, the stuff that's come out recently about how it, Mike Ashley's didn't release any money to Benitez because he didn't get invited to the training ground. It's just petty. It's ridiculous. I'm just getting bored of bored of this. And the moment Benitez leaves, which he will before July, he's going to leave before then. That's probably when I I'm just going to stop getting that sensitive about stuff going on with Newcastle until Mike Ashley leaves because it's I'm just reaching my end with it to be honest. Yeah. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see if he does sell because the past two times it's looked like he was actually willing to. He ended up not doing it anyway. So hopefully uh, there is some fan reprieve there for Newcastle soon. Um, <clears throat> coming to you now, Jay. Uh, man, we're just kind of hammering this kind of negative tone. What, what is this, the DC universe? Anyway, um, <laughs> Crystal Palace failed to pick up points without Zaha on the pitch. Again, continuing the trend from last season where you didn't pick up a single point when Zaha wasn't playing. I'm sure you're very tired of this narrative the same way Jake is with the Benitez one. But but it, it can't be coincidence at this point anymore, right? No, you're right. You're you're completely right. So bored of it, just like we were bored of how many people went on about our poor start last season. Uh, thankfully, that's not us just this season. Um, yeah, it it's it, it's a true statistic, and you know they don't lie. Um, we we struggle without Wilf in a side, and whether it's got to a point now that you know the rest of the team actually lead Wilf around. Um, yeah, I, I think that much is clear. We had to look. I mean, look at the game yesterday. We were unlucky in parts, to be fair. You know, the amount of times we had chances in front of goal, there was a scrambling in front of the net where probably nine times out of ten that ball were fine. That's why I have our line. And, you know, Samson for everything at it, it just wasn't going for us. And we don't help ourselves, really, because, you know, we've got a good enough squad of players. Um, Wilf is great. He's, he's fantastic. He, he's our best player. And, you know, he really does make a difference for us, as, as we've seen. But we can't keep relying on him because at one point he won't be at the club. Um, you know, I know he's signed a new five-year deal, which is fantastic for us. Um, but that doesn't mean to say he won't leave next summer. Um, yeah, I'm not foolish to think that, you know, he signs a five-year deal and he's going to be here for another five years. 
if we don't have Wilf, that's a worry. Um, a lot of people were worried that we wouldn't have Kabai. Uh, I, well, we struggle without Kabai, and and some of that, to a certain extent, is true this season. But yeah, the stat without Wilf is is incredible. Like I say, we haven't helped ourselves because we've got a good enough squad of players. It's a bit of a hoodoo now, really, because every time you know we lose Wilf, and, and do you know what? Before the game yesterday, it was it was visible among the fans. In that there was a lot of rumours going around before two o'clock that obviously Wilf hadn't been called up by the Ivory Coast squad and there was a rumour done around that he'd, he'd been injured and a lot of people obviously pointing at the Kapuwe challenge and this and the other and without having the true facts. But as it turned out, it was a groin strain. They pulled in training during the week and, and, and Roy was very hesitant to talk about injuries in his pre-match press conference. So whether it was touch and go, whether he was going to play or not. Um, but I think... Southampton probably looked at a team sheet and thought very similar. You know, it's a, it's a statistic now, which is true. Um, Southampton would have been all too well aware of that without Wilf in the side. Um, and you can see it yesterday that, you know, Wilf, when he plays, he has two or three players on him for a lot of the game. You know, and he still managed to get through them because he is, he is that good. But yesterday, the rest of the team struggled because... You know, they didn't have that diversion. You know, they didn't have the opposition didn't have two or three players um, focused on Wilf, uh, and they were able to, you know, pick up their players as, as you would normally expect. And Townsend didn't have the freedom that he, he so often has because Wilf is being man marked heavily. And um, yeah, it, it does create a problem for us. And you know, we do need to find a way of of getting past that the next time Wilf isn't available for us. And I think we were a little bit naive yesterday because we played a kind of four four two formation with Ayu playing alongside Benteke. I think that you know Wilf does drop you know off off of Benteke. He doesn't play that. Uh, he doesn't lead the line as such as a, as a striker. He plays he plays that role kind of floating around uh, floats around as a striker. He still goes out wide. He still drops deep to get the ball. Um, whereas Jordan Ayu was a little bit different yesterday, and I think our midfield struggled without having the release of being able to give the ball to somebody like Wilf, who will just, um, you know, be a magnet for the, for the other defenders and, and, and trick them into making a challenge and getting a free kick or, or, or actually getting past them and, and, and making up some ground, which yeah, it's something we really missed, but it was a combination yesterday. It wasn't just Wilf. We were missing James Tompkins from the back as well. Um, but yeah, it's a fair point. It's a, it's a really boring stat and we're fed up of hearing, hearing it, but we don't help ourselves because we just continue not to win without Wilf and the side. Yeah, I fully understand both sides of that, that you're probably very tired of it and it's up to you guys to break it and they aren't. It is. That must be equally frustrating. Um, at the other end of the pitch, um, Wayne Hennessy continues to make his saves. Uh, looks like he's averaging about four per game this season. Um, but you have now conceded two goals in a row. Are we any closer to the Guaita era or do you think it would take something far more than that uh, for Hennessy to be dropped? Oh, the Wayne Hennessy... Um, problem. Um, he, I mean, to be fair, he started the season well. Um, we've had a summer with a good, a very good keeper in Vin, Vincente Gaeta coming to the club. Did, uh, had a very good name in, in the Liga. Um, and it was a bit of a coup for us to get him, actually, because I think there was a number of clubs actually interested in in, um, in getting him. I think Barcelona made an inquiry during the summer, even though we'd actually signed him on a pre-contract agreement from the 1st of July after after just missing out on him in January. The fact is, Hennessy hasn't really had the, you know, the, the for, for, for a few seasons now. Uh, we, we, we had Steve Mandanda that came in and we all know how that worked out. 
um, he came in, was given a number one jersey from the start. Um, and again, like I say, it didn't work out for whatever reason. He got homesick and didn't play another game after those first, I think he had eight appearances, six appearances, something like that. So maybe we're being a bit careful with uh, Gaeta. I know there's a communication problem. He didn't speak any English um, when he came over. Um, so whether that's an issue. But the fact is, you know, yesterday was a was a, was a a great example of what we get from Wayne Hennessy. You know, he, he's, he's, difficult. He, he's one of those goalkeepers. I, I expect the goalkeepers to be very vocal, very loud. And I think that's just a, a trait of most goalkeepers. And, and you expect that from him. Wayne isn't that kind of goalkeeper. You don't see him shouting and moaning at defenders very often at all. Yesterday made a very good save for the penalty. Give him... Is due for that because you know goalkeepers and penalties. You know, if they make a save, they're a hero. If they if they if if I don't save it, then it's you know well you know it's a, it's a player that made a foul or the referee given a penalty in the first place. But um, I think he's at fault for the second goal because you could see it coming from a mile off. He's coming out of his area. Coyote has actually got his way back to the to uh, um, Holbier, um, and Hennessy was in no man's land, and and Coyote could see it from a distance because he was. Moving his hand, waving his, waving Hennessy back as such as he's still running, getting around the player, and saying, "You know, if you come out that far, he's yeah, he's going to slot it past you." And that's exactly what it did. And, and that one game kind of says everything about what you get away. Hennessy made a good save for the penalty. It was a poor penalty, admittedly, from Charlie Austin, but he made the save, and, and you give him credit for that. But on the flip side, you know, the second goal, which you know wasn't really. I mean, that was late in the game. We're chasing the, chasing the, the game anyway. But that's kind of what he does. You know. He, he, he doesn't come off his line. And when he does come off his line, he's made the wrong decision. So in terms of when Gaeta is going to come in, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether Roy, it's difficult to know how Roy will view that. Personally, I think after the international break, it might be controversial, but I would start Gaeta. Um, again, don't know what the, uh, you know, what, what, why they're actually holding him back other than the, the language barrier. But, you know, he wouldn't be the first to come to a, to a country without being able to speak the language. You know, football is a universal language, isn't it? So I know, you know, you can communicate surely with your back line um, to a certain point if you can't speak the language. Um, he played against Swansea in the week and, uh, and had a good run out. Um, so, yeah, I, I see no reason why we can't start him against Huddersfield. Because, I mean... Even the fifth game of the season, that's an, that's an important trip away to Huddersfield uh, this season. And we could do with getting uh, the points in that one, really. And it sounds ludicrous to say that now, but, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world in the Premier League. You need to get all the points you can at certain points of the season. And, and we need to get back on that, you know, winning trail again. So I, I want to see Guy to a number one shirt. I, I, a lot of Palace fans, they, they, we, we've been quite split down the middle, really, in terms of Wayne Hennessy and goalkeepers. And I think... For the most part, we've we've probably had a gut full of him, and you know he's done well in in places. But I think we need a change. To be fair, I really do. I think we need a change at the back. It will help the defence as well to have a louder keeper, even if he is talking a different language. But um, yeah, and, and obviously Tompkins not being there didn't help yesterday. But I think I think Gaeta, it's it's going to come at some point. So so why delay it? Fair enough. Uh, all excellent points from you guys regarding your clubs. And now we're going to head into Player Watch, where with the uh, summer windows now shut all throughout Europe, what player are you surprised is still at your club? Well, mine's going to be a surprise to you guys because you're probably going to think I'm going to say Ryan Sessegnon or Tom Kearney. I'm actually going to say Marcus Bednelli, and that's going to sound strange considering he has started the last two matches. But they brought in two goalkeepers. They brought in 
Sergio yeah. Rico and they brought in Fabri. And I only think they bring them both in to take the place of Marcus Bednelli. Somehow Marcus Bednelli, to his credit, has now come back to become the starting goalkeeper. So this has been a little bit of a head scratcher. But again, he hasn't played badly, but I'm still wondering why would you invest in two goalkeepers and keep Marcus Bednelli? So Marcus Bednelli is the sharker for me. And uh, as long as it motivates him and he plays well, so be it. But I did not see that coming. I expected them to hold on to Cessnion and Kearney. So that's why when I saw this topic, I really had to think about it a little bit. So I'm going to go with Marcus Badinelli. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's a difficult one for Newcastle because we're very good at getting rid of players and we pretty much got rid of every player that we should have got rid of. <laughs> um, probably argue that we've, be, we've lost players that we perhaps shouldn't have and we haven't upgraded properly with Mitrovic and Gale going. But probably the one that is still at the club that is, is, is only at the club because nobody else wants him is Ashraf Lazar. He's a left-back. Uh, last year, he was on loan at Benevento. Um, didn't really do well there. Uh, and he's back with Newcastle. And I don't think he's going to play at all. I think we've been trying to offload him to any sort of foreign club that will listen and nobody wanted him. So he's still here. And he and, and the fact he didn't even play in the cup match uh, and we played Kieran Clark, who looked like the most uncomfortable player at left-back ever. At left back, you know, probably means he's not going to play for Newcastle either. So he's probably the one I'm surprised at, and he's probably going to be and one of those like Cisco players that we had a few years ago that just forever in our reserves doing nothing, but we can't get rid of them because we bought them on too high wages and nobody wants them. So yeah, he's he's probably going to be here a while, but he's he's probably the one player that we didn't get rid of that we perhaps wanted to. Ah, oh, yeah, good question. Um, I think everybody probably expected Wilf to go in the summer. I think we were kind of resigned to it, so. In the end, it was a case of um, like a new signing, really celebrating. Obviously, he signed a new new deal as well. I, I think everybody was resigned to losing Wolf in the summer, or most people anyway, um, to get uh, potentially another season out of him, as it's turned out, uh, uh, maybe even more than that. is is actually fantastic. It's it's some people have questioned his you know his you know lack of motivation for for winning things and, and things like that, but. I think it's a bit of fresh air that he wants to stay at a club. You know, he's had his fingers burnt by going to United, uh, even though as a few years ago, he's come back to Palace and he's playing the best football of his life. And uh, um, and we're uh, you know we're paying we're we're seeing the dividends of that really. And you know whether he maybe uh, I think he's a player that is a confidence player and he he would need to feel loved at a club and, and whether he would have that at, at a larger club I don't know. You know, like a big fish in a small pond scenario, like he's at Palace. He knows the fans adore him, and uh, you know, same for same for pretty much the club. So uh, we, we've got rid of a few fringe players, which you know we're a bit different to Newcastle. We we don't seem to be able to get rid of players that we want to get rid of. Uh, we tend to lose the players that we want to keep a lot of the time. Um, but we've we've kind of freed up a lot of our fringe players, and it's given the opportunity for a few. Highly rated youngsters we've got have actually signed pro contracts in the summer. Um, so we may see some of them come through. Obviously, you know, Aaron Wimbasaka is a real shining light for a lot of those academy players and, and look up towards him and think, actually, if I get a chance like him, then they're going to take it with both hands. We've got Nia Kirby, who who is a regular with the uh, under-19 England squad, um, central midfielder and uh, and looking for that, uh, that break. And, you know, like Aaron did last year, he had a he had a fantastic uh, chance uh, during our horrific run of injuries, and I certainly don't want that to happen again. The run of injuries, but it'd be great to see another uh, youth player come through because you know I think a lot of the time we've been 
foolish in in keeping some players on the bench who aren't really going to get game time. We're paying them a, a large sum of money at the expense of some of the youngsters, which I think can probably be said for for a lot of clubs in the Premier League. So yeah, for me, it, it was Wilf um, surprised to keep because I think he I thought he was going to go, but it's good to get rid of a few fringe players as well. So um, so yeah, Wilf for me. All right, well, this is where we usually do match previews, but as we mentioned before, we are heading into the international break, so no need for that. So we will just wrap up now. Uh, if there's anything you'd like to tell folks you're working on or want to tell them where they can reach you, now would be a good time. Okay, well, again, my name is Russ Gold, I'm the host of Cottage Talk, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, and also at the show's Twitter account, which is Cottage Talk. Uh, we do three different, I guess you could say, Post-match shows, I do Cottage Talk full-time, which is an initial reaction to the uh, result. Then we do a full post-match show, and now I'm also doing a player rating show. So each match has three shows attached to it to review the match, which is actually very interesting because we look at it in three different ways. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about Fulham and also who Fulham play, check out Cottage Talk. Yeah, thanks for listening. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. All right, for uh, the boot room at EPL Index. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Kev. It's uh, it's been enjoyable, even though uh, it's kind of therapy talking about a loss anyway. Um, <laughs> um, I yeah, you can get uh, I, I'm editor of the Eaglesbeak. Uh, we're on Twitter at the Eaglesbeak, and also the website the Eaglesbeak. Plenty of content going online. Oh, it's been a really busy busy couple of weeks actually, and uh, we'll have some more stuff going online uh, during the week. So we're interact with us uh, on Twitter, which we're mostly on on Facebook and Instagram as well. And also I'm co-host and producer of a local community radio show. It's a Meridian Sports Show. Uh, we've got a busy show on Tuesday, issues are coming up. We've got the local uh, non-league uh, team manager coming on the show with one of his players. And also with the UK Elite Ice Hockey League starting uh, this weekend, we've got one of the Guildford Flames players coming on as well. So um, just check out everything on our Twitter feed, which is at the Meridian SS, and you can get us online if you fancy tuning in. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You didn't have to hear me talk about Tottenham too much today, so consider yourselves blessed um i'm on twitter at kevroff uh you can find the show at epl roundtable also check out the championship roundtable which is at championship pod and the fpl roundtable which doesn't have its own twitter for some reason i don't know um but check uh, both of those out there will be a championship show up today as you're listening to this uh so be sure to check that out there will probably be a fantasy show this week uh, if we can line things up where we can discuss wildcard usage, because that seems to be the direction everybody's going. I also write fantasy articles over at Goal.com under the gaming tab, so check that out if that tickles your fancy as well. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for joining me. It was a pleasure as always, and at home, we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM. 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.